Good morning. It is great to be here with you. My name is Nathan Hinkle. I'm the lead pastor here. If you're joining us online today, we are really glad that you're watching uh, with us or later this week that you'll be joining with us. We're launching into a new series here today that um, I'm pretty excited about. It's called Beat the Odds. Uh, this past spring, uh, my family, my wife and I and the, and the kids, we went on a trip that we'd been waiting to take for years. We uh, went out west over spring break for about 10 days, and we flew into Las Vegas. And now we visited lots of the national parks around that area, and uh, it just turned out that Vegas was the cheapest place for us to fly into. Also, my kids are avid gamblers, so it worked out, all right? So, um, so now, truthfully, um, it was a great experience, though, um, seeing it. Now, there's a picture here I want to show you uh, just to prove that we were there. This is a picture of my family in front of the famous Bellagio Hotel with the Fountain Show, and it was such an exciting time. We only spent about a day in Vegas, and the rest of the time we were driving all over the place to the Grand Canyon and such, but it was quite something to be, to be seen. Now, if you've been there, you know this, Okay. If you haven't been there, you also know this, right? If you've never been there, that this casino, um, like, you know, atmosphere is, is really quite crazy. I mean, you walk into these places, if you've been there, and, and you get a pretty good idea of what's happening here. It's, it's like the sounds are overwhelming, um, that the smells are overwhelming. It's been a long time since I've been in places where people just smoke freely and smoke all kinds of different things freely. And so those aromas are mixed in everywhere. Um, that there's hundreds, I mean, hundreds of slot machines, the gaming tables. I mean, everything that you kind of see on TV, minus the excitement. It's all the noises and lights, right? But there's not quite the energy that they show you on the movies. But, but it's real. And there's this labyrinth of, like, you can't get to, your, to the elevator to get to your room to save your life. And then you've got to weave through a labyrinth to get back out the front doors again. And that's all done on purpose. They want to keep you there. And then the thing that shocked me the most, maybe, maybe one of the many things that shocked me the most about being in that city, was the people that were up at 7.30 in the morning with their coffee in hand at the slot machine, you know, pushing these buttons, hoping to win big. But, you know, there's this saying, and, and whether you've been to Vegas or if you've seen the movies or not, but you've heard this, this, this saying that says like this, the house always wins, right? Have you heard that? The house always wins. And here's the truth. The odds are stacked against you. The odds are stacked against you and me. The financial odds in your life are stacked against you. Because the truth is... About a quarter of us out here, about 25% of parents out here right now or online will never have a conversation with your kids about finances. The odds are that half of us are living paycheck to paycheck. The odds are that your household carries on average $16,000 in credit card debt. The odds are that if your marriage ends, there's a really good chance it ends because of financial issues. The odds are that your household gives away only 2.5% of your annual income, which means that there's a good chance, the odds are, that last year your family gave just $737 to charity. 
See, the financial odds are stacked against you. They're stacked against me. Our lives, when it comes to money, are, are, it's the greatest cause of stress, of, of, of anxiety, of worry, and it's robbing you and me of the full life that our Heavenly Father wants to give us. So in this series, this is what we want to do. We want to tell you, we want to know as God's people, as his church, that we don't have to be a statistic. You and I, your family, your marriage, your kids, okay, you don't have to be just another statistic. To beat the odds, you have to be at odds with our culture. To beat the odds, you and I have to be at odds with our culture, and we have to approach money differently. If you're going to win with money... If you really are, you and I are going to win with money. We have to have a new approach. We have to change our approach. And here's the truth. Your approach to money, my approach to money, determines our experience in our relationship with God. You believe me. We're going, to, we're going to look at what we mean by that. So today we're going to talk about approach number one in this series. And here it is. God owns it all and we manage it. God owns it all. And we manage it. Now, let, let me tell you something else that I'm pretty sure where the, 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 these are some pretty good odds too, all right? When the odds are, okay, that you and I get pretty nervous whenever we start talking about money at church. Amen? Amen, all right? I hate talking about it, all right? So I was nervous before I got up here today. All right, because I don't really like talking about it either, and you don't like hearing about it, so it's okay. All right, we're in the same boat here, but here's the thing we're in good company, or I should say, we are in similar company. All right, because anyone who encountered Jesus where he had to approach their approach to their wealth felt very uncomfortable and uneasy too, because Jesus talked almost more about wealth and our relationship to money than he did nearly any other topic, all right? So when something is repeated, especially when it comes from Jesus, it must be what? It must be important. So in his narrative of Jesus' life, Luke writes about this encounter. Jesus is teaching a crowd, and some guy from the crowd shouts out a request to Jesus. So we're going to pick it up in Luke chapter 12. If you don't have a Bible, um, come find me afterwards. There's a great Bible app that I use daily that many of us use. We love it. We also have free Bibles at the hub out here in the lobby. We want to just get that in your hand. But we're going to be in Luke chapter 12, and we're going to jump in with Luke chapter 12, verse 13, this guy's request of Jesus. Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. All right? Odd request, but apparently here's what's happened. This, this man and his brother, they've lost their father, okay? This, this is much is pretty clear. Their father's passed away, all right? And in this culture, all of the family assets would get passed down to the oldest son, all right? This is an age-old sibling rivalry and resentment, okay? The older brother, he got a later bedtime first. Anybody experience that? Anyone bitter about that still? Yeah, all right. The older brother, he got to date first. The older brother got the shiny new donkey first, 
all right? And he had all of these first, and so the younger brothers lived with this resentment. Here's what every younger brother, and I was a middle child, so everybody got spoiled but me, and true story, okay, that's just, that's resentment, my bad, all right, all right? This is what every sibling rivalry says, like, we just want it to be what? Fair. We just want it to be fair, but it's not fair. But this guy's asking Jesus, step into my financial world, and I want you to alter our approach to our wealth. Tell my brother, let's just do halvesies on this thing. Like, I don't want more than my share, and the older brother's not having any of it, all right? So here's Jesus' response. Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. See, Jesus just stops right there and says, listen, I, I'm not here to be your financial advisor or to settle arguments between you, all right? My purpose is to come to reveal to you the path to full and lasting life with your heavenly Father. He says, so be on your guard and watch out. It's a strict warning from Jesus to you and me. Be on your guard, watch out. If you don't change your approach to money, Jesus says, then it will rob you of the life that God has for you. Watch out. Be on guard. If you do not change your approach to your wealth, then your wealth will rob the life that God has for you. So look, he goes on in verse 16. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns, and I will build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? And this is how it will be with those with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. So let me tell you something that you and I need to know. Jesus never wastes his words. Never wastes his words, never says something flippant. He's giving you and I important insight here, and we need to pay attention, okay? We have to be rich toward God. We want to, we need to. And so I want to share with you a couple things real quick here. They're principles, which I see from this text and from Jesus' words, about what being rich toward God looks like. And the first one is this, that we need to manage our gifts well. We need to manage our gifts well. All right, listen to this. This comes from Psalm 24.1. It says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. This is, what, this is the point. This is what the psalmist saw. This is what Paul knew. This is what Jesus explained. Everything we have is God's, okay? Everything you have, God owns it. It's his, all right? He thought it up. He created the, the resources. He created the substances that were able to create those things that you and I now own. It's his, all of it. This is the approach that will change your and my life. This approach right here, God owns it all. It's his. This will change your financial outlook in your life forever. Now, God is a good father. 
And he gives good gifts to his kids. I mean, Jesus talks about this, that God is a good father, and he wants to give good gifts to his children, right? You and I have resources that God has owned that he has given you on land. Your house, your vehicles, our money, our children, our grandchildren, our resources are his, and yet he's trusted us. He's given us a gift. He said, here are these things of mine. I'm going to give them to you so that you can steward them, so that you can care for them, so that you can manage them well. These are gifts that your heavenly father has given to you and me to enjoy. Say the word enjoy. Enjoy. If you're watching online, just say that, say that wherever you are. Enjoy. Enjoy. Yeah, your heavenly father has given you things so that you can enjoy them, but there's more to it than just that. Right? Matthew 25, in Matthew's narrative of Jesus' life, he tells this story of this landowner that's going away, and he calls three of his servants together. And he says, while I'm gone, I want you to manage my wealth for me. And so one servant gets five bags of gold. The other servant gets uh, um, two bags of gold. And, and the third servant gets one bag of gold. And so what Jesus tells this story is the master goes away, and he comes back, and the servants report back to their master how they had managed his wealth. And the first two, the one that got the bag of five, the one that got the, the two bags said, we came, we invested your money, and look and watch, see how it's been multiplied. Your money and impact of your wealth has been multiplied for your glory. So he calls the third servant back, and the third servant says, you know, I was, I was a little afraid, didn't quite know what to do, so I just buried it in the ground. And what this master intended this servant to steward well, this servant did not steward he did not manage it well. And so the master takes his bag of gold and gives it to the one that had five, and he has that servant punished. We have to change our approach. Or our lives, and, and the lives of my kids, or my future grandkids, are going to be robbed of the full life that Jesus has for them. Jesus takes very seriously your stewardship of his stuff. And the question is, what are you doing with the wealth that God has given you? What are you doing with the wealth that God has given you? Odds are, most of us treat our money as if it's ours, right? I mean, that, that, that's how I have done it for a long time. That's how I still battle doing it myself. Odds are that you do it too, that you see your money as yours. This is our typical approach. I earn it, so I deserve um, the good things to experience and have that money buys. Okay? That, that, that is an approach that you and I are, are aware of. Money doesn't solve most of our problems, but there is a chance that I actually spend it and save it like I think it will. That if I just have more of my money, then it will solve my marriage problems. If I just had more money, I could give more stuff to my kids, and then it would solve their problems. If I just had more money, then I would be more confident. I would worry less, right? I'd argue with my spouse less. 
And something that we pass down to our children is if you, if you kids, my kids, if you could just get, get a great job where you could earn more and save more and spend more, then you will be fulfilled. And I don't ever have that conversation with them, but my lifestyle will show them what I value. And we approach God in the same way. Here's the thing that you and I have struggled with, especially if you're a follower of Jesus. If you're a believer, you've struggled with this. You say, gosh, I would love to do more for God with my money. I would love that. I'm inspired when I see people do it. But I just can't, what? Afford it. Often, often we like to direct our money, and, and, and our argument is, uh, you, you know what, I, I, I really do give a lot to God, but it's mine. I'll be generous with it, but I get to decide how it goes. And so what a lot of us do who, who desire, I think, to be generous and on paper in our checking accounts, perhaps we are, but we still manage it as if it's ours. And so a lot of times we will give, but, we, but we'll direct it. Well, I'm not going to give here, but I'm going to give there. I'm going to give there, and I'm going to give here, and I'm going to decide when, and I'm going to decide how, and I'm going to decide where I think it's best spent and used, and I better see the results of it. But in Jesus' story, you and I aren't the manager. So let me just encourage my brothers and sisters, stop acting like it. In Jesus' story, we're the servant. And we manage and we trust and we obey. God owns it all. And we manage it. This leads us to our second principle. Manage our gifts well is the first one. Here's the second one. Wealth is temporary. Wealth is temporary. Okay? Solomon, one of Israel's uh, wealthiest kings, he lived about 900 years before Jesus was born. He writes about how his own personal searchings for meaning in life and enjoyment found in the possessions he could amass. I want you to hear what he says in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse, verse 6, or verse 10, sorry. He says, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all of my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind, nothing was gained under the sun. Solomon came to a very sobering reality when he had spent his fortune on amassing this lifestyle that all, all the money in the world could buy him, and that was that everything was meaningless. Wealth is temporary. I've officiated over dozens of funeral services in my years as a pastor, and I want you to know what I have consistently never heard a family member say about their loved one. Never, not once. Never have I ever sat down with families who are grieving and remembering the lifestyle and the qualities and the characteristics and the legacy of their loved one who has passed away. And never, not ever, have I heard them talk about the financial and material things that that person had given to them or has now provided to them through inheritance. It's never come up, not once. It just doesn't hold a lot of value in that moment, does it? 
Never have I once sat beside someone who knew that their life on this side of eternity was coming to a close. Never have I once, not ever, not ever, have I heard anybody say, do you know what I wish I would have done? Now, I've heard people say, I wish I would have talked to my grandkids about Jesus. I've heard, I wish I would have talked to my kids about the importance of a relationship with their heavenly father. I've heard that. But I've never, not ever, not once have I ever heard anyone say, you know, I wish I just would have earned and saved more to pass along to my grandkids and my children. Maybe it's been said, I've just never heard it. See, those things are nice, but they're not forever. They're temporary. They rust. They get spent. They get taxed. They get sold on Facebook Marketplace five years later, all right? They buy, those things buy moments, but they do not buy full life. And the odds are you and I are focused on those things. The odds are you and I focus our wealth on those things. And that we spend our wealth to fill our closets or our garages or our memories or we save to be sure that we have this inheritance for our family. And then to what end? We do that sometimes more than we steward our wealth towards the things that matter most to our Heavenly Father. Wealth is temporary. But here's the third thing that I, that I see in, in our text today, and I see from, from the Word of God that, that it means to be rich toward God, that we must manage it well, that we must remember that wealth is temporary. And here's the third thing. We gain the most when we give to others. Well, that's not a big surprise, is it? <laughs> We gain the most when we give to others. Look at what Paul says to the Christians in the city of Corinth. He, he had planted this church, and he writes a letter back to them commenting on their, their generosity. All right, And he's going to do that in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Listen to what he says. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. See, Paul was reiterating something that Jesus laid the groundwork for. Jesus had flipped the script on the religion of his day when he taught that trust and faithfulness to God isn't measured in action alone. It's measured from the heart. And where your heart is, it overflows to action. And so when you read of, of the nature of people's generous spirits in the Old Testament or in the New Testament, the part of the Bible that begins to tell us of Jesus' life and the birth of the church, whenever you read these things, people ge gave generously. People took their wealth and gave it for two purposes. One was worship and obedience to God. That was first and foremost. It was out of worship and praise and recognition that God owned it all. It was his 
It was just on loan to them. And so one way that people gave, one reason why people gave in, in, in the word of God as we see the history of God's people unfolding is that they gave in recognition that it's his anyway and out of worship to him. The second one is this. They gave to fuel the impact on people through the local church. Because once you discover the life that Jesus has for you, like once you start getting a taste of his love and his grace and what he has given you, you want others to know it too, and you'll give anything to fuel ministry through the local church. And that's the second reason why people gave. Jesus promises that those who invest in the things that matter most to God, impacting the lives of people, investing in the places where God is moving in the lives of people, those people will get much more in return. And, and he's not talking about, and please, let's just put aside this myth, and, 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 and we, those of us who are online, those of us who are in this room right now, we will never repeat this again, that God's not talking about if you give generously, that God's going to give you more and more wealth. That is a lie from the pit of hell. The message of Jesus Christ is one of sacrifice and surrender and, 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 and suffering and giving up so that others may be elevated. Never, ever, ever, not once is it ever talked about in Scripture that if you were to give generously, that God will just heap wealth and more on you. What it does say is that he will provide for you all that you what? All that you need. Yeah, somebody said it. All that you need. And then there's this little part in there. God will take care of your financial needs so that you and I can grow in obedience to the good works he has for us to do. So it wasn't just so that God, God gives us the things to steward so that you can enjoy them. He gives us to them so that we can do good works with them. Say good works. Good works. Got me online. Say good works. In your car, whether you're sitting at home right now, say good works. God blesses and provides your needs to enjoy so that you and I can put our wealth to work. Did you see that? He takes care of you, not just so that you can keep wallowing in the enjoyment of it, but so that you can put your wealth to work. You do good works with it. And the odds are we spend most of our resources on the things that fuel ourselves. The odds are most of our homes right here, right now, those of us who are watching or listening, we spend most of our resources fueling ourselves. But what if we, the church, people, followers of Jesus, what if in this month, in November of 2021, 2022, it's been a long couple of years, guys, <laughs> all right? And what if we, in November of 2021, if we flipped the script along with our Savior? What if we did that? What if we were to give more and more of our wealth and our money away to fuel ministry, the places where God is working on changing people's lives? What if we fueled that with more of our income, empowering and equipping ourselves at the same time to do the good works that God has given us to do? What if we did that? What if our church did that? What would it look like? What would the impact be? You can imagine it, but you can't leave it there. You have to act on it. If we want to experience the full life that Jesus has for us, for our kids and our grandkids, we need to manage our wealth differently. And the truth is, White Oak, the financial odds 
in this culture and in your life, they're stacked against you and me. Odds are we're going to be hurting financially, and we've cut, we have stories that are all throughout right now that we could share that, that says that's the case. That won't lead us to full life, so we need a new approach. Your family, your household, you need a new approach. So here's the challenge that I want to offer you today. The question that I, as I'm reading through some of the text, um, just in my personal Bible study this week, I keep seeing that every time, or, or many times, that Jesus encounters someone, whether the question is about wealth or not, um, there's always this, there's this question that they often ask Jesus. He says something, he does something, he teaches something, and then there's this, well, what should we do? That's the question that people who encounter Jesus will often ask in the New Testament is, what should we do? So this is the question that I beg that we would ask every time you and I are in the Word together or by ourselves or in a small group. What should we do with what we now have read? And I want to tell you that the ministry, I'm going to tell you a place to start. Because, that's, because that is, I'll tell you, the biggest part of my story in financially stewarding the gifts that God has given to me, the biggest part of my story is, is, is giving to my local church. I mean, that, that's, that's the biggest part of my story. There's other places that my wife and I give, but, but the biggest part of my story, so that's all I can share with you from, from my experience. And, and I, I will tell you this, that ministry is fueled here at White Oak and through White Oak because of, of your generosity and your partnership in ministry. And I want to challenge those of us who might be inconsistent givers here at White Oak, that this would be the season that the script would flip for you, that you would just commit and trust God to start giving regularly, whether that's weekly or monthly or whatever you decide between you and God. That's my challenge to those of us who may be inconsistent. Maybe we've given a little bit here, maybe, maybe, maybe there, maybe here, maybe, maybe when we feel like it compelled and, and often when we don't. I just want to challenge those of us who are inconsistent. Would you start being obedient to generosity in a consistent manner? Let me talk to you, those of you who are consistent givers, those of you who have fueled ministry consistently for, for many years now, or maybe just for a short time here at White Oak. I want to thank you, and as I, and I, as I thank anyone who gives. I want to ask you to continue to be faithful. Continue to be faithful. You know, when my wife and I got married, we talked about um, our, our giving habits. And I had this pathetic excuse one time as I was a young adult and, and really before I got a full-time job, I kept saying to myself, and this is how you kind of talk yourself into, you know, you, you justify things, right? I was in college, I was a teenager, then I was in college, and, and I said, well, you know, I don't have a lot of money, I'm not making a lot of money. Um, when I get a full-time job, that's when I'll start giving. That was my justification to the Lord. But I want to tell um, the teenagers in the room or young people in the room that that is a lie from the pit of hell. That God expects you to, to, to steward the resources he has given you only when you feel ready to. Right? No one played on the JV team and said, I really, really want to play varsity. So here's what I'll do. I won't practice. I'll barely show up for games. 
I'll show up to the JV games and not even wear my helmet, but when I make varsity, then I'll kick it into gear. Guess what? You ain't never making it to varsity. Start practicing now for the giver that you want to be like. My wife and I give once a month. That's our habit. That's the ritual we've decided at the last Sunday of every month. I, we give. And, and there was a guy that I heard at a conference once that challenged us. He said, I want someday for the, the largest check that I write in a month, I want it to be to my local church. Higher than my mortgage, higher than my car payment. And I remember sitting in the, in the crowd thinking, oh my God. <laughs> Dude is crazy. But he was on to something. where my treasure is, that's where my heart is. If you're new to White Oak, let me invite you to start partnering with us in the stewarding of your finances. My wife and I give to White Oak not just because I work here, because I believe in the stuff that God's doing through here with all of my heart. And I surrender it at the feet of our elders and our staff to spend it wisely. Because God is good. And he's been good to me. Jesus modeled the way for us on this. On this approach, I'll tell you that Jesus modeled the way for us. Jesus saw his life wasn't his own. His life was not his own. His life was something to be managed for God's purposes. Do you know this? He managed his life to give you identity so that you and I wouldn't have to swim around in our culture wondering, so where does my identity really come from? Is it from my sexuality? Is it from my feelings? Is it from the stuff that I own? Or is it because he calls me son or daughter? Jesus managed his life in such a way that it was his father's so that you and I would know that we have identity in Jesus. He managed his life to replace the things that you and I put, the temporary things you and I place our hope in. Jesus managed his life so that you and I would know that we could put our hope in him, that he's trustworthy, that he's loving. He managed his life so that you could know that he loves you. And there would be proof of it, that he would go to a cross and die in your place. Jesus managed his life. He went to the cross so that you and I could have confidence in his forgiveness and his love for us. This is exactly the approach that Jesus had. His life wasn't even his. It was God's on loan to be managed for God's purposes, and you and I get to benefit from it. And I praise God for it. And if you've never accepted that invitation to, to be washed in that forgiveness and that life, I would encourage you, come find me down here or send me an email right now or after service, and I want to talk to you about baptism and accepting Jesus. God owns everything but he doesn't own you. You are his son and daughter, but he allows us to choose because he loves you and me so much and too much to force his will on you. You and I get to choose. He loves us enough to give us choice. He loves us enough to allow us to choose how we will steward this life, this life. He loves you, and everything he's given you is his. So how will you manage it? Pray with me, Father God, you're good. I love you.
Thank you for your son. Thank you for Jesus. Give us your spirit, Father, to empower us to beat the odds of our culture and to approach our money differently. All for your glory, all for your good, and for the good of your people.